papermen meet such interesting people. They know the lowdown, now it can be told. I'll tell you quite reliably off the record about some charming people I have known. For I meet politicians and grafters by the score. Killers plain and fancy, it's really quite a bore. Oh, newspapermen meet such interesting people. They wallow in corruption, crime and gore. Ding-a-ling-a-ling, city desk. Pull the press, pull the press. Extra, extra, read all about it. It's a mess meets the test. Oh, newspapermen meet such interesting people. It's wonderful to represent the press. This is the Media Project, a half hour of commentary and analysis. And some days when we're really on our game, insight into the media issues of recent days. I'm Rex Smith, a former editor of the Times Union, currently the Upstate American, I guess is my column topic. You can look for that if you wish on Substack. Here with my great colleagues, investigative journalist Rosemary Armeo, Barbara Lombardo, former editor of the Saratogian and the Record in Troy, and Dr. Alan Sharktuk, the CEO of Northeast Public Radio. We are happy to be with you this week on the Media Project. So Dr. Sharktuk, since you are Uh the guy with a PhD here, I'm going to turn Uh to you first because, oh yeah, here we go. Because here's the difficulty. We are in an era which might be called the age of misinformation. So it takes an intellect to be able to figure out what to do about this. And we talked about it last week in the context of the false reporting that Joe Biden's proposals are going to force us to eat hamburger only once a month or something. And the fake news that Kamala Harris's children's book had been mass purchased by the government. Untrue, untrue stories, but it gets out there so much. So my question is, if you can come up with an answer, what in the world do people whose job is sharing real information, what can you do about this falsehood-fueled outrage that seems to be in all the thing these days? Well, we can do exactly what you're doing now. You can point it out. There's not much more. We have freedom of speech Unfortunately, we have a former president now who is probably the greatest danger to democracy in you know, our history in this country. He's a would-be dictator. He's a man who lies through his teeth. He's a man who admires other dictators around the world, including Vladimir Putin, obviously, Duterte in the Philippines and others. And that's what they do with the press. They tell the big lie and they expect it to be exported all over the place. And that is the big danger. Now, once you have that, then you have the answer. What can we be doing about that? And there's plenty you can do. You can speak out. I try to do that. I'd love to pass it over to Rosemary Armeo. Go ahead, Rosemary. I I, I think all of that is true. I'm watching right now as a lovely Republican congressman from Georgia is trying to tell us that January 6th was not an insurrection at all. It was a normal tourist day. Now, those are his words, that these protesters, and how do we know they were Trump protesters, were walking through the Capitol, staying within the marked corridor lines, and it's just the Democrats trying to turn this into something called an insurrection. And this is a representative. That is not just a lie. It's a lie coming out of B. 
big deal mouth, like Trump, same thing, the president. So how do you counter that? Absolutely. You keep showing those videos that it was definitely a riot. They were beating up and killing, in one case, a police officer. This was not what he's saying. We support people like Liz Cheney, even though not politically support her. She is a bigger Trump supporter than Elise Stefanik is even. However, she said, I'm not going to support a lie. That needs to be championed, and we can do that in the press. I feel an obligation, and I hope other truth tellers do online when you see these lies to counter them. Get into fights. Get into it. Yes, they're highly amusing, and people listen to them, even if they don't immediately say, oh, yes, you've convinced me. You do at least combat the lie. And when you see it in schools, when you see teachers, and at every level, from K through 6 up to college, talking about these partisan divides and lies as possibly true, or there's no way to, to tell, only time will tell. That has to be countered every time. It is going to be a long, drawn-out and constant battle, and we have to do it. So Rosemary's solution is get into fights. This is good. Barbara Lombardo, you have any further guidance for us on this? I think I'd like to build on the direction that I think Rosemary was headed in, where it's not just getting into fights, but it's telling the truth at the most local level so that this has to be built from the ground up with local journalists and other local institutions and local organizations. So if leaders at the top, as we are seeing happening over these months and years, are telling people untruths and getting them to believe misinformation, we need to not let that seep down. So even in city elections and school board elections, those people need to be held to account. Do you believe the big lie in the national election? And those people need to not get elected into their positions so that they can't rise up. And the only way to do that is to keep telling people at the most local level, in addition to telling them at the national level. Yeah, you made two interesting points there, actually, Barbara. One is holding local public officials to account to say, so you're running for county executive in Rensselaer County, say, do you believe that the presidential election was legitimately won by Joe Biden or was it not? And holding that as a criteria because that suggests reliance on facts as opposed to belief. And then the second is an interesting point that is the loss of credibility of, in journalism, the loss of trust in journalism is partly a function, isn't it, of the decline of journalistic organizations. There aren't as many local reporters. People don't have interaction with journalists the way they used to. They don't trust their local newspapers even. And that has to be a, a function of folks no longer believing the truth tellers in journalism generally. Is that a fair assessment? Well, you know, the number three person in the United States Republican con part of the Congress is going to be one Elise Stefanik, who I have grave difficulties with. And I, I have to tell you, Stefanik is going along with the big lie. She just changes her mind. See, I think the way that you understand what's going on here, you understand what the larger politics are in the country. And then once you have that, which is that the white former majority is now doing anything in its power to stay in office because they believe the lies of Fox and other places because they have to. It's the only way out that they see it. So unless you get the bigger picture, you'll never get the local journalism picture, too. Yeah, yeah I, I agree with Alan. I, I think that on this program, all roads lead to discussions of local news. It would be great if local newspapers were strong and uh, trusted as they once were. I don't see that happening again for a long time. In the meanwhile, democracy is under attack right now. And more than journalism, I think 
getting involved in local politics is the answer. It isn't just Stefanik, although she's a great example. It's Paul Tonko in the capital area, who's probably a model for the hardworking, diligent congressman, and yet he is under attack. And his opponent from the last election who beat him is now running against him already, Liz Joy, claiming that he's part of a Marxist takeover of the government. We have generals, 124 retired Army officers, Army military, not just not just Army, I'm sorry, officers of the military, have signed a letter decrying Biden's incompetence and his implementation of a Marxist government. So while we're busy saving local journalism and building up more reserves and more resources for local newspapers, all of this is going on now. So I don't think that's the answer long term. It's maybe the part of the cause of what we have right now, but it is not an answer. Local journalism is just part of the answer. And the bigger issue on the national level that I am stumped on is how to get people to not believe what to us are obvious mistruths and that studies are showing that even when they believe them to not be true, they are happy to share mistruths and misinformation with people. That's absolutely right. This is a a point that uh, New York Times columnist named Max Fisher has pointed out, that belonging is stronger than facts. Let me just read you something he wrote. As much as we like to think of ourselves as rational beings who put truth-seeking above all else, we are social animals wired for survival. In times of perceived conflict or social change, we seek security in groups, and that makes us eager to consume information, true or not, that lets us see the world as a conflict, putting our righteous in-group against a nefarious outgroup. Therefore, people believe things that they want to believe, and statistics show, to Barbara's point, that they share information on social media, whether it's true or not. They like to share it. Maybe the solution is to try to somehow get us away from our reliance on social media, but that's also not going to happen anytime soon, is it? Well, I don't get it. I don't understand what you're saying here, Rex, a little bit. As always, you're profound. However, I don't quite get what it is that can be done. Newspapers, I have to go back to this, and I know that it's not a popular opinion on this media project. Newspapers are dying. They're really dying. Not the New York Times, not the Washington Post. But for the most part, newspapers are going the way of the dinosaur. So we can preach. We can say it's so important that local media does its share and that newspapers do more. But it isn't what our young people... People, our younger people are watching or reading. So maybe this program is not worth it anymore. Well, that's a programming <laughs> decision should, you have to maybe make. You should run be, the place. <laughs> maybe, should, maybe this should be the last program. You know, I keep saying that I went into journalism, you know, in the last millennium in order to help change the world. And if I were in the position now of deciding what my career would be, it would not be journalism for exactly what you're saying. It would probably be politics. And I think that political activism is the way that young people are learning that they can have an impact and that maybe that means lawyering, too, because that's part of it. And there's an element of reporting in it, too. Alex Navalny and Russia puts out investigative reports. The young woman I guess we're going to talk about, I hope we'll talk about today in Oklahoma, who was advocating for Black Lives Matter, was asking questions. So there's an element of journalism and law, but the way to proceed is, is activism. We have to get involved. We have to know what's going on and what the lies being told are before you can counter them. 
Yeah. I think that what Alan is referring to is a piece of journalism. He keeps saying, oh, newspapers are dying and taking great pleasure from that. But a Whoa, lot of, will you just hold on there do? one moment, Wait. Mr. Rex Smith. That's not true at all. I don't take any pleasure from it. I've been writing really? for newspapers for years and years, and I think it's great that we have them. It's just that, as Rosemary has just stated, a lot of this population isn't paying any attention to them. But don't put words in my mouth. I resent that more than I can possibly say. Okay. So Alan is just as sad as we are about this. That will yield on that. But the fact is there are a lot of other media outlets rising. I'm in touch with journalism schools a lot, and there is no difficulty, actually, in the exactly. best of the journalism students finding jobs. They're just finding them differently. They're finding them sometimes in what are, frankly, biased points of view or in activist journalism. The point that Rosemary is alluding to has to do with a reporter in Oklahoma who the governor of Oklahoma refused to recognize in a press conference because she was working for an outlet that was not a, let's say, a, a middle-of-the-road organization. She was working for something called the Black Wall Street Times, Black Wall Street being that area of Tulsa that was a significant business district where 100 years ago, the 1921 Tulsa race massacre occurred. And so this is a question. If a reporter works for a website that has a point of view, does that separate it? And that is the increasing direction that we're really seeing the media going. It's going into partisanship and into more activist work. This young woman was denied the right to ask the governor a question because the press secretary said, well, it's an activist pretending to be a reporter. Is that fair? Are activists slash journalists positions different from reporters for old-fashioned newspapers? So let's answer that question with a question, and that is, is Fox not being allowed to answer questions because they're activists? They're not well, activists. They're biased. Activists are people who are, in this case, it was a black-supported, black-owned newspaper, and it was promoting a black agenda in the city of Tulsa. I've also seen anti-corruption advocates who become journalists. I think it's legitimate and real, and it ought to be supported by other journalists. And I, I wondered when I read about the woman in Oklahoma at the news conference, why someone from the Tulsa Times or any other other uh, recognized newspaper didn't get up and say, well, I'm going to ask the question and pose the same question that that woman did, which was a perfectly legitimate and newsworthy thing to ask. I think that instead of further dividing the media saying these are good journalists, these are bad journalists, we all are in this together. The question is broader. Yes, that might be an activist reporter, possibly. Or what if it was Fox or CNN, depending on who you're talking to? CNN is taking a more, I guess you would say, biased or activist approach in its commentary. I guess they're not activists trying to accomplish things, but they are more biased in what they're saying nowadays. And we already went through that with Trump telling them that they can't ask questions. So if it starts in one state with one reporter from a you know black publication, is it going to be a commonplace thing where everybody in power gets the right and the courage to tell people that you can't ask a question? Who's going to define what's a legitimate organization to ask a question? That scares me. This goes back to something Alan was talking about earlier, and that is Elise Stefanik. Let's make note of the fact that Elise Stefanik does not answer questions from 
WAMC, Northeast Public Radio, or even North Country Public Radio up in the north, or the Post Star of Glens Falls, or the Times Union of Albany. If the major news organizations in your district are people that a member of Congress doesn't deal with because why? Because she's afraid of the questions. How do you deal with that? She's in effect saying that these mainstream news organizations are illegitimate. She's not afraid of the questions. She knows that she doesn't have to answer them. Exactly. So it's not, uh, and I don't think you're, I don't think you're suggesting that she's afraid of them. She doesn't want to answer them because it's not to her advantage to answer them. And it doesn't matter to her supporters that she doesn't answer them. It's almost a badge of honor. So we have to, all those publications that you're mentioning in broadcast stations still need to report that those questions are being asked and not answered. The local publications would do well to work with the papers and the outlets that she does have to deal with. The New York Times, the Washington Post, she's the number three person now. Can she continue to ignore them? What if they're asking the questions that she's not asking at the local level? More cooperation among journalists. We have to close our ranks against politicians who have learned to work without us and around us. Well said. So if you're just joining us, by the way, this is the Media Project from Northeast Public Radio. That was Rosemary Armeo, Barbara Lombardo, uh, saying well said. Alan Shartok and I'm Rex Smith, and we thank you for joining us. If you would like to share your thoughts, media at wamc.org. Media at wamc.org is how you can reach us, and we are very happy to share some of your views on the air then in next week's show. If there is a next week's show, I mean, maybe, I don't know, uh, Rosemary saying we ought to all become activists, and Alan saying that the show is outmoded. Maybe we can't even summon the strength to get forward. Let's try to get through the show. <laughs> I want you to know that I was just kidding. I know. <laughs> Here's an interesting topic that I think we ought to explore, and that is women rising in journalism. The timing for this being the appointment of a new editor of the Washington Post, a woman named Sally Busby, who has been the executive editor of the Associated Press, spent her whole career with the AP, now in her mid-50s becomes the new editor of the Washington Post. Take note of this. Women are now leading the newsrooms of CBS News, ABC News, MSNBC, USA Today, NPR, Reuters, The Guardian, The Economist, Financial Times, Politico. It is a new era in journalism, and I wonder if there are any thoughts about what difference it might make if there are differences as a result of newsrooms increasingly being run by women rather than the people who have run them for years, which would be men. Men. <laughs> Any difference here? I was the managing editor of a newspaper in Florida owned by the New York Times. That was the first one in the country to have a woman publisher, executive editor, a managing editor. And so they came out and examined whether women managers were different than male managers. And there were some maybe stylistic differences, you know, instead of when we had newsroom meetings, instead of just talk, there tended to be like cookies. <laughs> women were more, <laughs> and women were, women were slightly more inclusive in the stories they covered, looking at topics that some men overlooked. I, I always remember the example of Sandy Rowe at the Virginian Pilot when I was an editor there, and she was the executive editor, so did not come into meetings normally, but she did on the day of the hearings with Clarence Thomas, and she said the editors had been meeting among themselves, all men, and they said, yeah, we're going to put it on the front page. And she looked at them and said, no, it is the front page. And she pulled everything off the front page except for Clarence Thomas and Anita Hill. 
because she recognized that this was a mind-changing story. The men did not recognize it was just to them. It was big news, but it wasn't, you know, it was like a regular story. So I think that women have become harder and more like men in their aggressiveness and in their toughness, which is good. And the management, the stylistic changes are maybe more inclusiveness, a willingness to let underlings speak up. They're just small things. I don't think it makes a huge difference. And the other reason that I don't see this as a completely great thing, which normally I would, breaking the ceiling, is that women have made their rise in journalism at a time when the jobs are disappearing, the pay is low, and the field is sinking. The men have all left. There's room for women now because it's becoming a pink-collar ghetto. I think it has been for a while, actually. But don't you think the fact that so many women are getting those jobs shows an advance? And I think, you know, with some risk at my saying this, there is a real difference between men and women. You see a lot more homicides being committed by men. You don't see many being committed by women. There's some, but... (laughs) I'm sorry, I just don't see many homicides in newsrooms. I mean, yes, there's a difference in aggressiveness. There's a difference in um, leadership style, but I'm not sure that it translates into a difference in content of a news outlet run by a man versus run by a woman. And like Rosemary, back in around 1980 or so, I was one of the few women managing editors in the Gannett chain where there'd be like three of us in a room of like 50 or 60 or 70 editors. And we had a woman publisher in Saratoga, one of the first in the country, and a woman managing editor, one of the first in the country. And I didn't see the difference except at times when it would be as a role model for female journalists and possibly male journalists who want to come up the ranks and see the person as more of a whole person, as a parent especially, where being a role model as a that you can run an organization and be a parent. I think that helped bring other women up the ranks. But as far as what they so, do in their jobs, I don't see a big difference in how a woman is going to be different than a man. Hmm. Very interesting. I don't know. And I don't mean to be sucking up to anybody here, but I would much rather work for a woman leader than a man most of the time. I don't know how else to say this. I do find that there is, as Rosemary kind of alluded to, a greater deal of, let's say, collaboration, uh, more awareness of the impact of our whole lives that we bring to our work. I just think that it's actually a very healthy development in journalism where you need to find nuance in a story in order to tell the truth. The stories that fail are those that are told more in black and white, good guys and bad guys, as opposed to the gray areas where we truly lead our lives. And I think typically women have proven to be better at finding those nuances than men have been. Not This is a great generalization, of course, but it just seems to me that the reason that a lot of women are now rising into these positions of leadership is, A, because there are more women in the ranks of journalists in general, as Rosemary notes, but B, because we are increasingly valuing those skills that women have excelled at that men have not. So you're saying there mm-hmm. is a difference between men and women, right, Rex? I'd say. Yeah. yeah, And I'm not talking about, you know, the obvious. I'm talking about the idea that women possess skills and the ability to make a difference in a way that men don't always. I, I would not say. want to be a white male to journalism right now. I think activism has played a whole big role in this, too. You would not want to be a white male in journalism because the career path doesn't look good? Yeah, career path is definitely more difficult. Just as when I went into journalism, being a woman was a difficulty to rising. I think now being a white male, I think that's flipped. Mm-hmm. And I've been a member and a president of a group called Women in, the Women in Journalism Symposium. And that's what we have advocated for decades is getting more women into higher ranks. So I think that has played a role in it. And also there are men 
who have the attributes, you have described them as feminine attributes, and they are just as effective as women. They collaborate, they listen, they are open to ideas from underlings. These are all things that are leadership style, not gender. Thank you. That's what I was trying to say about the differences. I think that's partly a cultural thing. Yeah. You know, there's the other element of this, too. I was contacted a few weeks ago by a a woman who runs a major news organization looking for a number two, the number two person in her newsroom. And she said, must be a racial minority. Now, she was being very blunt with me about it. She's a white woman. Uh, But the fact is, we are increasingly aware of the need to have many different groups represented, racially, gender, not so much age, geography, and class, but those can play into it and ought to in terms of looking at diversity. But it is a different era in journalism as it is in every element of society when you're looking for diversity candidates in positions of leadership, and that becomes a significant qualifying characteristic of people. You know, one of the factors that you alluded to before, Barbara brought this up, the the sort of more opinionated and emotional coverage that we're hearing from CNN, I think bringing the full range of a person's experience to work is one of the things that results from having more women in the marketplace, in the job market and in the newsroom. And it is that sort of full range of experience that we're learning to value. And I think that does change the nature of the news reports. You get a news report that is a bit more nuanced, as I was saying earlier. And I think that's one of the factors that maybe that is one of the things that is driving even CNN, which is run by a man still, but it is a different era in news that actually has more of that emotional and opinionated content, I think. Rex, I think you're trying to be very careful not to say women are more emotional. <laughs> it's funny. Yeah, right. um, I, I don't like it. I'm sorry. I'm a woman, and I am very opinionated and very emotional, and I don't, I don't want to see Don Lemon crying anymore. I don't want to see Anderson Cooper getting all a fluffer because he's among people in a tragedy. I, I want journalists straight, strong, asking questions. I think it's a really bad trend. I'm sorry, Rosemary. What's a bad trend? You mean more women in positions no. of authority? No. no, men trying to show emotion. Remember, oh, oh um, I see what you mean. Years yeah. ago, mm-hmm. Walter Cronkite voiced an opinion about Vietnam. It changed the whole course of public opinion about the war because it was so rare. Now you see it every night on television. Yep. Yeah. All right. That is all we have time oh, for today, I'm afraid. No. Oh, yeah. The show ought to be an hour. <laughs> no. There we go. That was a little opinion from Dr. Shartok and a complaint from our producer, David Gustina, to whom we are grateful every week. Alan Shartok, Rosemary Armeo, Barbara Lombardo, and I'm Rex Smith. We thank you for joining us this week on The Media Project. Good show. Interesting people. They used to work like hell just for romance. But finally, the movies notwithstanding, they all got tired of patches on their pants. They organized a union to get a living wage. The Media Project is a production of WAMC Northeast Public Radio. Alan Shartok is CEO of WAMC, professor emeritus at the State University of New York, commentator, columnist, and author. Rex Smith is the former editor of the Albany Times Union. Barbara Lombardo is a journalism professor at the University at Albany and former executive editor of the Saratogian and the Troy Record. And Rosemary Armeo is an investigative journalist and adjunct professor at the University at Albany. You can 
listen to or podcast the Media Project anytime at wamc.org or just download the WAMC app for your iPhone or Android at the Play Store today. Thanks for listening. Represent the common people. Funny Wall Street never has complained. Ah, but publishers have worries, for publishers must go to working folks for readers and to big shots for their dough. Now publishers are such interesting people. It could be prostitution, I don't know. Ting-a-ling-a-ling, circulation, ting-a-ling-a-ling, advertising, get those readers, get that payoff. What a headache, what a mess. Oh, publishers are such interesting people. Let's give free cheers for freedom of the press.